So come on up, Sandra. Let me pray for you. Such a blessing. And by the way, if you didn't get the Advent devotional book that she has written, Kathleen and I are going through this for the second time this year. David's raising it at the back. Pick one up. Even if you started late, if you're a week behind, you can catch up. Read it. It is so rich. I was so ministered to last night about your thoughts about peace and how that Jesus came to remove the us and them and the sense of the other and realize that I am both us and them. That's, that was so powerful. So thank you, Sandra. You're such a gift to us. So Lord, we just uh, bless Sandra today to continue to just pour out this treasure that you poured into her. Thank you for uh, what you've taught her and what you've learned, much of it through suffering, that, that this hope is not just some shiny, happy thing, Lord, that it's, it's, it's grounded and in, in, in often found in the cauldron of, of suffering and pain and the crucibles of, of our lives, that you are present with us. In all our life, as Lynn shared earlier, you are Emmanuel, God with us. So we ask you to be that with Sandra today and be with us as that with us as we listen. In Jesus' name, Amen. Good morning. Um, thanks for having me like two times in a row. Hope you don't. My, uh, <clears throat> you've heard of public displays of affection. This is my public display of anxiety. I'm like, oh my God, how can this week ever live up to like last week? But um, it's not about me, right? So, um, so I thought we would just review really quick what I did talk about last week, just in case you weren't here. Um, I was never a big fan of review, but um, uh, I thought it might be helpful. Um, Here's a quote I really like. Um, right, so we're in Advent. That means coming. Um, the coming of Emmanuel, the incarnation, the mystery that that is. Um, and that uh, another quote from Burton, that Jesus is the whole theology of God, that Emmanuel, God with us, is basically everything that we um, believe kind of captures everything. Um, and... Um, did I have my neck? Oh, no, no, no. Also that um, it's end times. Um, basically, since Jesus ascended, we're kind of in the, the time of the kingdom coming. And in the Bible, hope is inseparable from the end times, from the vision of a new heaven and a new earth um, coming and God fulfilling his promises. And that the early church and the disciples lived in this hope after Jesus' ascension, that end times wasn't sort of a source of fear and and weird, crazy thoughts. It was just, it was actually a source of hope for them. Um, and so they had that really narrow focus. Um, and I talked about how that um, image of the server who surfed the tsunami, that um, if that he went into the tsunami, he steered into that and, and recognized sort of what it was and um, survived that tsunami, that storm, um, because of recognizing what the time was, that was the reality of what was happening. Um, and that the world, the world only sees the tsunamis. It doesn't see the other reality that exists um, that we believe in, the kingdom that is 
here and advancing and coming um, and that the world needs our voices and that needs to hear the voice that speaks of that other reality that it's not just the visible reality that we see that's real but the invisible reality is just as real as the reality that um, we can see with our eyes. Um, and, um, and then we covered this verse from the lectionary last week besides this. You know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake up from sleep. The first salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone, the day is near. Um, so that's, I thought, a great context for, um, yeah, thinking about end times. Um, it's always so weird to, like, preach because there's sort of this idea that, like, I, I always get, like, is it this, that I'm knowing these things and I'm telling you these things that you've never heard before, but it's, preaching is sort of a strange thing because it's like I'm telling you everything that you already know, but... So, anyway, a little more of my angst. <laughs> Just such an odd thing. Um, anyway, so this week um, I wanted to, so we kind of talked about hope in these contexts and, and that it's sort of the focus of it, the source of it. Um, but this week I wanted to talk about what hope actually is and um, maybe consider why we've sort of lost it. It's easy to see why the world despairs, um, and, but Christians also despair and are sometimes just as purposeless and meaningless. And so why have we lost hope? And um, so I want to discuss that too. So um, the first thing, but oh, so, so what I'm going to do is sometimes it helps to define something by what it's not. So I'm going to cover what hope isn't um, first. So first thing, hope is not optimism or positive thinking. Um, it's not like avoiding reality and thinking, oh, it'll all work out, or, you know, if life gives you lemons, make lemonade, or as Judah says, if life gives you lemons, throw them back. Um, uh, uh, I don't know if some of you have heard of um, Viktor E. Frankl. He, was, he is an Austrian, Austrian neuropsychiatrist who was a contemporary of Freud and Adler, and he wrote, and a concentration camp survivor. And he wrote a book called The Man's Search for Meaning, and in it he talks about uh, his experiences in the concentration camp, and he talks about um, who survived and who died, who were the people who first died. And um, interestingly, his account echoes what they have found in prisoner of war camps as well, that um, the people who died first in both these camps are actually the optimists and the positive thinkers. Um, so a lot of times the optimists and the positive thinkers were like even more of hardy constitution than sort of more sensitive types. Um, but they couldn't accept reality and so they held on to false hopes and they would reflect on everything they had missed and everything that they had lost. So they weren't in the present, they were in the past. And... Um, denying kind of the current reality, which, you know, is easy to do in those kinds of extreme, brutal, dehumanizing circumstances, of course. Um, and then what they found in both these kinds of camps is that actually the people who survived were those who were able to accept the reality as brutal and as dehumanizing as it was, because they let go of wishing that it was diff would be different, and they just tried to find meaning in what was, what they were actually in at the time. Even if it was, like, small, like, they could share one bite of their meal with somebody to lessen their suffering for a day, even small things. Um, and um, uh, Viktor Frankl, he, he survived a lot of days, he said, by actually just meditating on his love for his wife, um, which was, he wasn't necessarily dwelling on 
like that she maybe already died or, but he was just on, on his current present love for his wife and would just sort of have conversations with her. Um, so hope is not optimism or positive thinking. And we know this is true actually, because whenever really suffering comes up, this totally collapses. It just doesn't stand up in it. So we kind of instinctively know this anyway. Um, the other thing is hope is not a feeling um, any more than love is a feeling. Um, if I was just loving when I felt like it, I'd be a jerk like all the time instead of just like some of the time. Um, so same with like um, hoping is, is you, it's beyond feelings. Um, and you know, these survivors of these camps shows that you can have a lot of negative feelings and still choose hope. Um, it's not dependent on that. And um, I love the verses in the Psalms, like 42 and 43, that say, Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you so disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. So he's obviously dealing with raging, disturbing feelings going on inside him, and yet he urges himself to hope. And um, it's like at soul level, like he's speaking to his own soul. Hope is at the soul level. Um, which is quite important, actually. Um, and then the other thing that hope is not is it's not wishing. It's not saying, oh, I wish this would happen, and that's, that's not hope. Or, you know, if this happened and that happened, I'd, I'd feel better, I'd feel happier. Um, Henry Nouwen contrasts the prayer of little faith to the prayer of hope, and he says that a prayer of little faith actually wants concrete wish fulfillment which actually eliminates the possibility of hope, that it's a spiritual life that's reduced to a beeline forward to what you want. Um, and I think a lot of hope is lost this way, that when we, you know, pray, but we give God really narrow parameters, and if he doesn't, and then just despair that he doesn't answer prayers because he doesn't fit into the narrow parameters. Um, and so then Nowen says that the prayer of hope is actually unlimited faith in the giver of good things, with no guarantees asked and no conditions posed and no proofs demanded, that you hope is to allow God to be all and only what he is and not bind him or try to force him to act in a certain way. So the focus of the prayer of hope is on God and not what you want him to do for you. Um, and I think that's one of the lessons of Job, of course, that um, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. Um, you know, his circumstances really sucked and he clearly had a lot of negative feelings going on and you know his wife and his friends urged him to interpret his circumstances as a cause to abandon God and urged him to or that he had made a mistake um his friends you know like it's, it Job says that it's he, he doesn't say it but in it says that he's blameless um but his friends say, well, if you were really blameless, you could have put your hope in that. You could have put hope in your own blamelessness. But, of course, we can't. That's sort of the gift of the law. The law shows us that we can't actually get our behavior and heart right through our own actions, that hoping in ourselves and our strength and our intellect is always useless and idolatrous, basically. Um, and so we're always, when circumstances, this is the whole problem of evil, when things are hard and when we see lots of suffering, when we experience suffering, we're always tempted to render meaning about who God is and who his character is and how he feels about us from our circumstances. Um, and that's really tempting. And Christians, we are the ones who ought to know that circumstances don't tell us about who God is necessarily. They don't tell us how he feels about us. Um, and, but, and that's why we need each other to remind each other 
We need each other to say, hey, this looks like really crap, but God's actually still with you here. Um, and, um, and that's where this great prayer kind of comes in. Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. I've prayed this a million times. Um, and we can sort of think intellectually about suffering, and that's not really comforting when suffering's happening. But this prayer has actually been very comforting for me in many a time where it's like, I just, like, this is hard, and yet I'm going to keep trusting that in your goodness and your wisdom and that I don't understand the path I'm on or why you let things happen in my life, but that I trust in the God who can make everything work together for good for those that he loves and that we love him. Um, and basically, the, I mean, the cross and Gethsemane, Jesus basically prayed this same the spirit of the same prayer, essentially, I think. Um, and so that brings me to what kind of hope actually is, which I th- hope is ultimately in God alone. It's in his steadfast and faithful loving kindness for us, it is care for us. Um, and um, when you read through all the verses in the Bible at one go, that's the most obvious point. It's obvious that the underlying is that hope is always in God alone. It says that in Psalms many times. Um, And I really love this little passage from um, Jeremiah in Lamentations. And Jeremiah was the, obviously, you know, the master sufferer as well. Um, Yeah, but this is a really beautiful passage to me. Um, It's really relevant for what I'm saying here. Um, Remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and bitterness Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down, within, bowed down within me. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good that he waits silently, she waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. Um, again, we see there that it's, this, it's like this soul, hope is at the soul level. It's not, they're not just making intellectual decisions. They're like speaking to their spirit and soul. Um, and uh, in 1 Peter 3, it says that like hope is in us. It's like in our bodies. It's deep in us. Um, it's not just an intellectual activity that we're doing. Um, which is kind of what positive thinking and wishing is. It's more of these just intellectual thinking. Um, and so, of course, it's really hard to swallow that God lets hard things happen to us and, and, and he strips things from us and that he, um, it's hard to like let go of the little inner dictator that says, God, I need you to do this and I need you to be, be like that. Um, it's just really hard not to do that. And I think this is where prophets come in really handy because they demonstrate for us the holy protest, the holy challenge against God of like, I love you, I trust you, but boy, this is really hard and this sucks and I want you to, you know, like, so I think that they're, that's a really, that's an acceptable prayer. That's a shameless prayer to, to, um, protest when things are hard. And I think that's how you accept reality is, is just bringing it to God, the whole struggle, not and that it's, you can challenge God, but in the trusting of him and trusting that he's faithful to his promises. Um, and speaking of promises, I know that some people will say to me, you know, um, 
but God's promised me specific things in my life. What about the specific things he said are going to come true for my life? Um, can't I hope even like in those promises? And um, the only thing I can sort of answer to that is that God has promised things to his people all through history that they didn't receive in their lifetime. Um, Hebrews says it really well that all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance. So that we don't necessarily see the promises materialize in our lifetime doesn't mean that, they're, that we haven't been able to catch sight of them and, um, and welcome them. And I love this word welcome um, because I think that this welcome is actually what hope is that this welcoming is the act of hope it's um an act of trust we welcome god in the midst of our suffering we welcome the spirit into suffering um, um we welcome god's promises despite what we see happening in the world despite what might be happening in the visible world um, we welcome ourselves and God's love for us individually, um, and we don't let circumstances tell us who we are or who God is or if he loves us or not. Um, and, of course, the, what they see with is the eyes of trust, eyes of faith. Um, we're not going to be able to do any of these things without that um, sight that's beyond the visible. And... Um, I want to say that hope is not exactly a rational kind of thing. It is, it sort of transcends, I'm not saying that we check intellect and reason. We need that as part, that's part of how we come to God, through our intellect and reason. It's one of the tools to come to God. But it sort of transcends intellect and reason, that it's at this soul level. Um, um, that, uh, and as an act of will at our soul level, of course, we're going to need the Holy Spirit, that it is powered by the Holy Spirit. This isn't just something you do with willpower that's like New Year's resolutions or something, you know, where you kind of like decide to, uh, you know, not, you know, you're going to exercise every day. It's not that kind of will. Um, it's a will that's powered by the Holy Spirit. This is the end of the lectionary reading today from Romans. It says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that you will bound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, so it's the Holy Spirit that powers us. So hope is actually, actually an interaction of two wills. It's your will and God's will. Um, and Thomas Merton says it in a way more beautiful way. He says that hope is the marriage of two freedoms, human and divine, in an acceptance of the love that is at once a promise and the beginning of fulfillment. So God is the source of our hope, um, and there's a good reason to desire freedom so that we can actually purely hope. Um, so if hope's not optimism and it's not positive or wishful thinking, it's not a feeling, it's not tied to circumstances, it has to be in God, not in his gifts, though we know that he does intend to give us good gifts and does, um, and it's though the world looks bleak, we know that God hopes for us, and that's what Advent is about. It's a presentation of God's hope um, in us. And um, we hope in his loving kindness and his faithfulness to his promises. Um, 
And we know that he fulfills promises because there's, we can look in the Bible and we can look in our own lives, right? There's so many examples. He said that he would lead them to the, prom- uh, the desert to the promised land. He did that. He's promised that Jesus would, the Messiah would come. The Messiah came. Um, so we've, and in our own lives, we see the fulfillment, I think, of God's hopes and love in us when we see our lives like that song says, you know, you do all things well. Our lives are growing and moving towards God. Um, and so then the hard thing about hope is just that it's waiting. Um, and hope in the Bible is totally synonymous with waiting. Um, sometimes they translate hope as hope, and sometimes as confidence, sometimes as trust. But most often, the, the alternate translation to hope is actually wait and um, I talked about sort of the metaphor of Mary's stomach, baby growing, that there's, um, that the waiting is not passive. It's not like fatalistic, like I'm just going to, you know, um, that it's an active waiting, that it's awake and preparing, um, that the waiting is welcomes reality. Um, It lives in the present. It rejoices in his promises. Um, As Paul says, it exalts in hope and it exalts in trials. Um, but waiting um, can be feel like suffering, like it says in Proverbs, that hope deferred makes the heart sick. Um, and Henry Nouwen has this great little key, this trick to waiting, um, which I think is totally fits. Um, that trust, that waiting, the key to waiting is actually trusting that, yes, we're looking to a new heaven, new earth, that informs our life. Um, but the, wait, the key to waiting is believing and trust, trusting that something is happening where you are. That where the time that our generation is being given before Jesus' second coming is the time that we need, and it's the time that the world needs. Um, and that where we are, God is still working, um, and exactly as you are um, with all the messy bits. Um, so, um, yeah, and so I guess thinking about messy bits... Um, kind of brings me to maybe why we've lost some hope. Um, Why do we despair? Why are we meaningless and purposeless sometimes? Why have we lost focus? Um, And, uh, yeah, um, I think one of the main reasons is because, I'm not saying this church or anybody here necessarily, (laughs) I don't want to, I'm not accusing anyone of things, but um, I think it's because We've reduced Christianity a lot to an ideology. We've traded the living God for having the right theology, the right beliefs. Um, uh, and that is a dead thing. And that's not going to bring us hope. Um, so this is uh, Friedrich Nietzsche. He famously said, God is dead. And uh, maybe he was just depressed because of that of oppressive mustache he's got on there. But... Um, (laughs) um, anyway he had a a a really interesting critique of Christianity and I like critiques of Christianity because they make me think they make me think and um, and I he when he said God is dead um, he didn't he wasn't sort of wasn't a triumphant nihilism that he was saying he was actually kind of like prophetically bemoaning that God was dead um, because he said that um, um, by 
by valuing our right beliefs and our and our and our all our thinking, and we valuing truth over God Himself, that Christians had actually killed God, that we had made him irrelevant to the Christian faith, that you could be a Christian without God himself. You could just be a Christian by believing all the right things. And, um, and I think you see that a lot. I, see, I think you see that a lot in Christ, different pockets of Christianity. And so he said, he kind of prophesied that when, because the world had lost, and this also because of the advance of science um, and, and enlightenment, um, that in and that in God's absence, um, that he said that humanity would be exposed to widespread nihilism and widespread loss of meaning. And that in, 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 instead of God as the moral grounding and, and the meaning grounding, that there'd just be yeah, widespread meaninglessness and hopelessness. And that in its gap, ideologies of all kinds, that many, many ideologies would pop up to take its place. Um, and that totally looks like the world that we're in, in my mind. Um, so I think, um, and I think we, we kind of came to that a lot because of uh, the Greek influence on early Christian thinkers and, and early theologians, that they really loved rash, rationality, and the Greek philosophers wanted the good life, but of course that always came through the reason and the intellect, and that has seeped into Christianity. It's totally, we're still totally influenced by that. We love to be think of ourselves as rational beings that are, you know, in control of our minds and lives and thoughts. Um, I think that's why mental illness is often such an affront because it feels like I'm a rational being. How could my thoughts be out of my control? Um, and so Christianity has kind of become lost a bit in, in apologetics and proving that God's real and proving why the Bible is factually true and proving why we've got more truth than other religions and why it makes more sense to be a Christian. Um, and so what we're uh, I don't know if anyone ever saw that movie Saved. Um, it's uh, it's got this really sweet. I wish I could have it actually seen, where um, there's these uh, Christian girls and one of them is starting to like um, backslide, and so her the, their pastor says to her friends, you know, like you know she's starting to kind of backslide away. She really she needs you to lead her back. And um, and so then she's walking down the street, and they jump out of a van, and they start commanding Satan out of her, and um, and and she like fights out of the van, and she's like, "What? You're like, what are you doing to me?" Kind of thing, and um, she's like, "You are falling to Satan, and you're you know going into sin, and you're gonna going to hell." And um, she uh, the she goes. That, like this isn't love and and the girl who's like trying to cast out satan she's like i am filled with christ's love and she throws her bible at her <laughs> and while she's saying it and then the girl says the bible is not a weapon um and i think we've kind of used the bible a bit as a weapon right we're like beating people and a lot of you know in the past of like beating people with reminding them of their sins and because and that we've got the truth and um and, but people don't need reminders of their sins, whether they believe in God or not. Everyone knows that they fall short. Everyone knows where they mess up. Um, what they do need reminding of is that God actually cares about them. Um, and that God actually is moving in us. Um, and, you know, the Bible is not made to be a scientific document that is telling us about visible reality. That's what science is for. Science and, and religion don't have to be this false dichotomy. They 
One is, one is um, they're like two different languages talking about two different realities. The Bible is talking about the invisible reality that is as real as the visible reality. And it's myth and it's metaphor and it's poetry. And it's trying to find words for the ineffable and the invisible. It's trying to find words for the soul. And um, so, um, yeah, I think uh, when we reduce our faith to an ideology, when we make God irrelevant to being a Christian, then we're just kind of one of the many ideologies being sold in the temple, basically. Um, and people aren't buying it anymore. And kind of rightly so, I think, sometimes. Um, because the thing about ideologies is that they always disappoint, they always disillusion. They can be inspiring for a time, but if we look, we look in them for something living and eternal, in something impermanent and fragile, there's no hope there. Um, and hope, like the Bible says, does not disappoint. Ideologies disappoint. Um, like First Corinthians says that these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And they remain, faith and hope and love remain because they're living. And all that is, leads to life is preserved and resurrected. And so, like, ideologies aren't going to heaven, you know? They aren't remaining. Um, and when we reduce our life of faith to a set of intellectual beliefs or the right theologies, instead of a connection with the living God, then we are trading something living for something dead, a dead idol that doesn't change hearts, that doesn't put us in touch with God, and, and so thus can't give us hope. Because um, just the right ideas about things is not going to be enough to give you hope in life. You need a real, living, alive, active connection with the real, living, alive, active God. Um, basically, that's, yeah, I think that's one of the main reasons, reasons why we see Christians lives look so similar to the world's lives sometimes and, and why we've lost hope and meaning and focus at times um, because we forgot we made God irrelevant to being a Christian. Um, so how do we like resurrect the God we killed? How do we um, resurrect our hope? Um, this passage from Romans today, this is a full thing from the lectionary, I think is full of sort of everything I've kind of been seeing and, and and kind of gives us clues to how we rediscover our hope. Um, so, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, so that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the circumcised on behalf of the truth of God, in order that we might confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, Therefore I will confess you among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. And again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. And from Isaiah today, the root of Jesse shall come. The one who rules, rises to rule the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles shall hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I think we resurrect um, hope by um, remembering the God that we are, that has start, you know, that began our faith. 
And, um, and we remember the incarnation and we reconnect to Christ's welcome of us. I, I love that it says Christ welcomed us. Um, it's like um, in attachment theory, they talk about that the one thing a person really needs is the invitation. Of, that when we look at one another, what we need to see from each other is an invitation to exist. That we really need to see each other's welcome, like we, that you are welcomed, that you are welcomed, that as we are, we are welcomed. And Christ loved us while we were, you know, yet in sin, still wandering away. That um, sin, you know, it's not like the four spiritual laws where you're on one side and Jesus is over here until you believe the four steps or whatever. It's, he, sin is, doesn't separate us from the love of God. Yes, it is destructive in our life, but the love of God is still kind of right beside us. Um, so um, I think we, yeah, we reconnect to that God. We reconnect to the welcome he has for us. Um, and which I think is, like I said last week, that we struggle sometimes to see our own goodness. And so that's a, the welcome is a, a reconnection with the fact that God has declared us good. And um, Thomas Merton says that actually if we don't recognize our own goodness, we can't be humble that it's actually part of the truth of us, that we are good in God's eyes. Um, and if we can't see our own goodness, we will not be able to see the goodness in other people. We will not be able to welcome them either. Um, you have to be able to have that, that peace inside yourself of welcoming yourself and receiving Christ's welcome of you to welcome other people, um, especially if there are the people who are, you know, of different religions or different ideologies or different sexual orientations or whatever um but uh you know that's what i love like the the angels say it you know in advent like it's goodwill towards all men all women <laughs> that it's all of us um and i think we kind of need to let go of some of our need to be right and to be the ones who've got the corner on the truth and just kind of in in first peter it does say that we need to have you to have able to give an account for our hope but he says we need to do it with gentleness and reverence. And um, so it's not throwing the Bible at people or throwing their sins in their face. Um, it's, um, I think we need to show reverence to the truth itself and to God and, and to reverence to the other person and the reverence to their journey. That God, whether they believe in God or not, God is still on a journey with them. God is still working in their lives. God is still totally is active and is present for them. And that we show reverence to that and not just try to switch people to our way of thinking. Um, and I think that's how we honor people. That's how we honor God. Um, and, um, yeah, I think that's essentially... I think, and then we remember too that like hope is a journey. It's powered by the Spirit, and it's building in us. We we don't start out with everything that we need. Um, and then I think the last thing we really need is um, a way to reconnect to our souls and our spirits. We live so much in this busy, distracted world, and we're we're doing things with our bodies, and we're thinking about lots of stuff, and we read lots of things, and we like. I just think of you know. Matt's phone is scrolling up to him all the time, these things to read. And um, there's just so many distractions that it's hard to hear our own souls. And the, uh, your soul is where God and hope are residing. Your soul is the place that where 
you know, you are perfect already, that you are, um, yeah, um, we're the part of you that's lining up, matching up with heaven. Um, so, and I think, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not sure entirely how we do that, but I think it's definitely to lay aside so many distractions that separate us from our soul and spirits. And I think we need to help people to hear their own souls too, because that's where God's speaking in them. Um, and the other, the last reminder that I have is just that hope is a group activity so that we really do this together. That we, Paul says that we have one spirit, one calling, one hope. That we want to live in harmony, accept one another, welcome one another. I mean, that was Jesus' final prayer for us in John, right? That we would be one. Um, and it's the hardest, seems like the hardest thing for us to do. Um, um, to remember that, like, I belong to you and you belong to me. Sometimes I'm, like, at the grocery store and the person's checking me out. And I think in my mind, I belong to you. And you belong to me. And it is the weirdest thing. It totally changes how you look at somebody. when you, Or I'll be like at a stoplight and look at somebody in their car and be like, I belong to you and you belong to me. It's weird. It's weird. But it really changes kind of how you think about yourself. It's um, when you put it on a face and a real person. Um, and together we belong to God. And he belongs to us. And we have a God who hopes. And we have a God who's faithful to his promises, and um, we don't need to have all the right beliefs. Jesus isn't standing at the door of heaven saying, um, here's my statement of faith. Can you sign on the bottom line? Can you agree with all these things? We get into heaven by knowing God and trusting him and, and him knowing us. Um, and I think this is why God... I asked God one time, I'm like, why do you tell us things in advance? I said, why do you tell me this is going to happen, and then I can see the thing happen? And then it was like, duh, of course. Because, um, you know, Jesus came one time, and people didn't recognize him. And I sometimes think maybe he'll come again, and people still won't recognize him. Because what we, he, I think he tells us things in advance so that you see the thing, and then you see him show up in that place. And you're like, oh, that's, that's what God's sort of like. He looks like this. He looks, and then, and then it builds hope for the next time when he says, this is going to be the thing. And then, he, you know, when he shows up there, we, we need to know, be able to recognize where God is and what he looks like, how he acts, so that when he comes again, we recognize him and can welcome. Um, so, yeah, uh, I think... That's really all I have to say about hope, that we have a God who hopes and that we can trust and who's really good and, um, and who fills us with the power of the Holy Spirit to hope and to have a living hope.